0: that was a testimony by Sally who's one of the members here in the church a really heartfelt testimony really grateful for her sharing something that's very personal thank you for Tim for putting that together the question of why there is so much suffering in the world is such a huge, huge question it's one that you see throughout the Bible this is what it says in Psalm 22 this is what the psalmist says my God, my God why have you forsaken me? Why do you remain so distant? Why do you ignore my cries for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Throughout the world, lots of people are asking questions as to, what about suffering? Why suffering? The American film director, actor and comedian Woody Allen once said this, To love is to suffer. To avoid suffering one must not love, but then one suffers from not loving. Therefore to love is to suffer, not to love is to suffer, to suffer is to suffer. To be happy is to love, to be happy then is to suffer, but suffering makes one unhappy. Therefore to be happy one must love, or love to suffer, or suffer from too much happiness. In his normal quirky and irreverent way, Woody Allen has encapsulated, I think, the confusion surrounding this issue which affects all of us at some point in our lives. In 1993, when it became legal for religious groups to advertise on television, the Guardian invited five uh, advertising agencies to put together campaigns designed to swell the Church of England's dwindling congregations. And one of the advertising agencies proposed a campaign homing in on human suffering. The headline ran, Why Hillsborough? Why Bosnia? Why Zabruga? God only knows. And in assessing the suggested campaign, The Guardian concluded that the answer, God only knows, may have had a negative impact. Merely reinforcing a view which says, if God is responsible for these tragedies, then what sort of God is he? If we're going to put God in the hot seat this morning, we need to make sure we have properly understood and thought through the question that we're asking. If you've read Douglas Adams' book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and uh, in the book they're seeking to find the meaning of life, the answer to the ultimate question, at the end of the book, after the whole book is about how they're on this search to find the ultimate answer, the answer to the meaning of life, they find out that the answer is 42. And they're absolutely dumbfounded because it makes no sense to them. Then they realise they have to go back and find what the ultimate question is if they're going to understand what the ultimate answer is. And I would say that's a, a, a silly illustration, but it's really important for us this morning to understand what the question is that we're asking. See, if we're going to come to helpful conclusions, we need to properly understand the question. You see, the world is full of suffering. We see it on a global scale. In earthquakes, famines, floods. The tsunami in January 2005 saw the loss of a quarter of a million lives. Two world wars in the last hundred years have resulted in suffering for millions. There are also community tragedies where planes crash, buildings collapse. We only have to think back to September 2001 and the collapse of the World Trade Towers, where 3,000 innocent people died, including 346 firefighters. We know that boats sink. In 1987, the Herald of Free Enterprise sunk just outside Zabruga with a loss of 193 passengers and crew. And people are massacred for see- just randomly. We only have to follow the news in the last few months in Cumbria to see that these things happen all around us. And yet as well as that, we see suffering on a human level, on an individual level. We're all affected to one degree or another by suffering, by bereavement, by sickness, by handicap, by divorce and broken relationships, by depression, loneliness, involuntary singleness, redundancy. Twenty years ago, my dad and a good friend of mine were both killed in car accidents within a year of one another. Five years ago, my best friend died of stomach cancer. And 20 months ago, my beautiful mother died of cancer. Suffering touches all of our lives. At my mother's funeral, the minister who was taking the graveside committal, a 94-year-old minister at the graveside committal said this. He said, "Grammar is important in life And doubly important in times like these when we're struggling to understand the loss of a loved one. The atheist comes to death and after it places a full stop. That's the end. The agnostic comes to death and places a question mark. But for the Christian... There is a comma, because there's more to come. What was the point he was making? Well, the point was this. In atheism, atheism says there is no God. We're here by chance, and there's therefore no problem at all with suffering. It's the luck of the draw. It's all part of the evolutionary process. Only the strong survive. Suffering is no issue to the atheist. In agnosticism, which says, I don't know if there is a God. You see, agnostics should have no problem with suffering, because again, it's a matter of chance. And people who are agnostics tend towards atheism. Other, world relig- other religious worldviews similarly don't have a problem with coping with suffering. Suffering. Polytheism, which says that there are many gods, and there are people groups in the world who, many people groups in the world, who believe in many gods. For them, they believe that disasters are a result of gods in fighting, fighting amongst themselves. For those who are dualists, dualism, dualism says that there are two gods, one of which is bad and one of which is good. One's responsible for good things, one's responsible for bad things. This makes the issue of suffering very easy to deal with. For those who are monotheists, monatheists believe in one God, uh, and monotheism would include things like Islam. Even there, there may be no problem with the issue of Suffering if this God is bad, or doesn't care if people suffer. You see, the question of suffering is really one for Christianity, as Christians believe in a thoroughly good God, who is all-powerful. It was John Stott who said this, The fact of suffering is the most frequently raised objection to the Christian faith, and has been in every generation. The American author Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, says that suffering causes problems for two types of people. The first feels that unjust suffering calls into question the very existence of God. The second refuses to believe in any God who allows a history to unfold as it has done Let me give you a couple of quotes that sum this up. This is a quote from a a writer in the New York Observer in January 2005, a few days after the tsunami in Southeast Asia. This is what he wrote. If God is God, He's not good. If God is good, He's not God. You can't have it both ways especially after the Indian Ocean catastrophe. That is what many people in the world today would say. C.S. Lewis, who is a Christian writer and the author of the Narnia series, you may have seen the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, which has been uh, turned into a film. He summarised the problem like this. He said, If God were good... He would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy, therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. Is suffering pointless? You see, underneath all of these worldviews lies the question, is suffering pointless? The atheist will tell you that it's meaningless. Yet though suffering appears pointless, is it really so? Just because we can't see a good reason, does that mean there isn't one? This way of thinking leads to the position, if we can't comprehend in our finite minds an answer for suffering that is understandable to us, then there can't be a good answer. It's the sort of, uh, uh, it's the sort of approach I used to take when I was doing physics in school, I was, uh, my dad heavily, strongly encouraged me to do physics because it would be a really good A-level for me to do. The problem was I just didn't understand it and I remember doing questions, um, coming to do exam questions and the question would say there's a particle on a piece of string and it's going round at four millimetres a second My first question, uh, you're supposed to draw the diagram and then you work out all the forces on it and then they'd ask you all sorts of other things. My problem was, A was drawing the diagram and my second problem was, why? Why? Why would there be a particle on a piece of string? It just made no sense to me. And so, because it made no sense to me, I just couldn't do it. I, couldn't, I absolutely flunked my uh, physics. Really struggled with it, just couldn't do it. It didn't make sense to me. But it, I, I just thought, it doesn't make sense to me, so it's pointless. Was that right? Of course it wasn't. Just because my finite mind couldn't understand the question didn't understand the issue, didn't understand what was going on. It didn't mean that it was pointless. Why should the reason for suffering be understandable to us? From God's perspective, could there be a good reason for suffering? You can't be dismissive of a God who is God, yet allows suffering, and at the same time, not accept he may have good reasons for allowing it that you don't understand or appreciate. So, what do Christians have to say about all the suffering going on in the world? Well, one of the things that you will hear said is suffering is a mystery. And many Christians will tell you that we can't understand all of God's purposes. Therefore, we shouldn't try to, and we should just accept things that happen to us and get on with life knowing that one day everything will be revealed to us and be explained to us after we die. And the fact that Christians throughout the ages have yet to come to a uniform answer to the question of suffering, I mean, does lend that some weight. And I just want to say this this morning, that in our few brief moments, this isn't going to give you all the answers to the question. Whilst there's an element of truth truth in suffering being a mystery, throughout the Bible, we read of a God who goes out of his way to explain what he's doing and why he's doing it. So we can expect the Bible to give us some answers to this vexing question, even if it isn't the complete answer. And I want to suggest to you this morning that as we read the Bible, there are a number of threads that we can draw out to help us with the question, if God is completely good and just, where does suffering come from? And the first thread is this, we need to understand the whole story. I had a friend uh, many years ago called Maynard, and um, his actually his mum named him after um, uh, the sweet trolley came. She couldn't think of a name for him, and the sweet trolley came round. It had Maynard's mints on it, and that's how he got his name. And um, anyway, Maynard, we went away on a trip together, and he was uh, engrossed in his book, and uh, it was a, it was a whodunit. He was really into it spent all his time reading this book. And uh, while we got off the bus at one point, he left his book behind. And some of the lads on the bu- bus thought it would be really funny to rip the last three or four pages out of the book. So he got to the end of the book. He read right through to the end. And when he got to the end, there were the, th- the last three or four pages were missing. And he was absolutely incensed because he didn't know what happened. He didn't know it, how it all wrapped up in the end. And it ruined the book for him. And he was really cross. But you see, understanding what happens at the end is really important. Just as what, understanding what happens at the beginning is crucial. Too many people lose sight of the start and end of the Bible. And whilst it's actually a library of books, 66 in fact, uh, written over thousands of years by many different people in different countries, the same story weaves its way all the way through the different books of the Bible. In the first three chapters of Genesis, which is the first book, we see what the world was like when God actually created it. The Bible tells us that it was good. It tells us that there was no sickness, death, indeed any form of suffering. It was perfect. And then we read of how Adam and Eve turned away from God and disobeyed him, and chose to live their own way. The Bible refers to this as sin. And thereafter, as a consequence of their rebellion, of their turning against God, we see suffering afflicting the lives of men and women. We don't see it before then, but we do see it afterwards. At the end of the Bible, we come to the book of Revelation, the last book. And the last few chapters tell us what will happen at the end of time when God will put right once and for all the problem of mankind's rebellion. God will create a new earth where those that love Him will live for Him, live with Him forever and ever. And here there will be no more suffering. Just read what it says in the last chapter says this in Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4. It says of this day, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, For the old order of things has passed away. Some years ago, when my best friend was dying just at the end, I remember taking a phone call from him literally two days before he died, and I was chatting to him on the phone, weren't expecting that he was going to die so suddenly. And uh, as we were talking on the phone, it became apparent, I said, I'll see you on Thursday, I'm coming down to see you. And he said, Steve, I won't be here. And uh, I said, what do you mean? He said, Steve, I won't be here. And uh, in that moment, those few minutes, I got to say my last goodbyes to my best friend. Known him since I was a teenager, he was my best man, I was his best man, family's gone on holiday together. And uh, got able to, I was able to tell him that I loved him, I was proud of him, that I was going to and, and the main thing was that I was going to see him again one day. You see, as Christians, we have a hope that goes beyond the grave, that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth, we will have new bodies, and I will see Adrian again. We need to understand the whole story. The second thread is this. We need to appreciate that God gives us freedom. In his perfect world, God gave the original man Adam freedom to choose to worship him. Adam foolishly chose to live independently of God. And the whole human race has followed after him, living independently of the God who created the heavens and the earth. And the result is a world that tends towards entropy or decay. Einstein's second law of thermodynamics tells you that. That might be the only thing I ever remember from my physics A-level. The world tends towards decay. Why did God give us the freedom to choose? Well, for no other reason than God wants us to freely love and worship Him. The consequence of this is that God's patience in dealing with all the wrongs in this world, the reason God is patient and doesn't intervene and bring it all to an end now, is because He loves us and He wants to save us. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to be with Him forever and ever. We need to appreciate God gives us freedom. The third thread is this. Suffering can result from sin. Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. You see, suffering can be a result of our own sin, our own wrongdoing. You know, the Bible clearly points out that some of the suffering we experience is because of what we do wrong. In marriage breakups... In my experience, more often than not, there are two sides to the story. When we break moral laws, we suffer the consequence. When we break physical laws, we suffer the consequences. You know, sometimes the pain, the suffering we experience can have a corrective influence on us. So sometimes suffering can result from things that we've done wrong. Sometimes it's a result of what other people do. If you see what's been happening in Zimbabwe and the famine that's been there and the terrible suffering in that country, that's in part caused by corrupt men and women in leadership. The Aberfan disaster in October 1966 when a coal tip collapsed, destroying pant glass uh, primary school and killed 116 children and 28 adults. The the judge who uh, oversaw the inquiry ruled that the coal board was responsible for the disaster. In the Zeebrugge ferry disaster in 1987, it was a result in part of the bow doors being left open. Sometimes suffering is a result of the sin of others, the mistakes of others, the wrongdoings of others. Sometimes suffering can result from a world infected with sin. People who are suffering often ask the question, what have I done to deserve this? And many with very sensitive consciences conclude the reason why they're suffering is because of the things they have done. Jesus, however, makes it clear on two separate occasions that suffering is not necessarily the result of things that people have done wrong. In John chapter 9, in the first seven verses, Jesus says that a man's blindness wasn't the result of anything he, or indeed his parents, had done wrong. That was the pervading thought of the culture in Jesus' day, that suffering was a result of things that people had done wrong. In Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, Jesus refers to two tragedies that have befallen. First one, Pilate, who was overseeing uh, uh, for the Romans, the uh, area of Judea, he had ordered the murder of a number of Galileans. And in the second incident, the Tower of Siloam had fallen, killing 18 people. And Jesus makes... Two points. First of all, he says that the people who died were no worse than anyone else, especially his listeners. And secondly, he challenges them that those events should cause them to get right with God. Because unless they did so, they would suffer eternity separated from God. You see, the Bible gives us some threads to follow. But when you look, if you turn a piece of tapestry over and you look at the back of it and you see and you follow some different colour threads, it's very difficult to see the whole picture, isn't it? You just see some threads there. It's only when you turn over the tapestry and you turn to the other side that you see the beautiful picture that's been created. This side of eternity, God gives us some threads to follow. And we have to trust that when we turn over, we will see All the purposes of God gloriously laid out. And we will understand once and for all. You see, the challenge is not to let what you don't know shake you from what you do know is true. Don't let what you don't know shake you from what you do know is true. So if God is good and just, why doesn't he do something about suffering? Well, you may be surprised to hear that he has. God has done something. Jesus, God's perfect son, became a man to reveal to a broken world what his father was like. Throughout Jesus' life, we read of him healing the sick, helping the poor, feeding the hungry. He alleviated suffering wherever he went. On no occasion did Jesus ever cause anyone to suffer although sometimes he had to leave people in the state they were in because they wouldn't trust in him. If Jesus didn't cause suffering, rather alleviated it, it's fair to deduce that that is exactly what God, his Father, is like. God has done something. As well as this, God understands anguish. Jesus suffered inordinate pain and anguish. For example, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he knew he was going to be crucified, he said this, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Luke tells us that Jesus was in agony in Luke chapter 22, verse 44. And on the cross, Jesus cried out that God had forsaken him. You read that in Matthew chapter 27. I mean, history tells us of many people who seemingly have faced death much more calmly. We read stories of of guys like Latimer and Ridley in 1555, burnt at the stake in Oxford. And the one turns to the other and says, play the man. while they're being burnt at the stake. Seemingly, they handle it so much more... Calmly than Jesus. Why was Jesus in such anguish? He was suffering at that moment, Jesus was suffering the closest possible relational loss. Jesus had been with his Father throughout all eternity, they had never, ever been separated. He had experienced the utmost in relational love that had been shared between Father and Son and Spirit through all eternity. And suddenly Jesus is facing for the first time separation from His Father because on the cross He bore our wrongdoing that we might be put right with God. Jesus suffered the ultimate agony. Suffered more than anyone has ever suffered. Keller, Tim Keller says this. He says that Jesus had to pay for our sin so that one day he could bring an end to pain and suffering without having to bring an end to us. John Stott said this, I could never believe in God if it were not for the cross. Christianity alone claims that God became uniquely and fully human in Jesus Christ and therefore knows firsthand about all despair, rejection, loneliness, poverty, bereavement, torture and imprisonment. You see, whatever the reason is for suffering... It isn't because God doesn't love us. Rather, God is with us in the midst of our suffering. Someone wrote this many years ago. Many of you will have heard it before. At the end of time, billions of people were seated on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light before them, but some groups near the front talked heatedly, not cringing with cringing shame, but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can he know about suffering? Snapped a pert young brunette. She ripped open a sleeve to reveal a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, death. In another group, a negro boy lowered his collar. What about this, he demanded, showing an ugly rope burn, lynched for no crime but being black. In another crowd there was a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. Why should I suffer, she murmured. It wasn't my fault. Far out across the plain were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he had permitted in this world. How lucky God was to live in heaven, where all was sweetness and light. Where there was no weeping, or fear, or hunger, or hatred. What did God know of all that man had been forced to endure in this world? But God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups sent forth their leader, chosen because he had suffered the most. A Jew, a Negro, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly deformed arthritic, a thalidomide child, In the centre of the vast plain they consulted with each other. At last they were ready to present their case. It was rather clever. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his family will think him out of his mind. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges. be tried by a prejudiced jury and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured at the last. Let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Then let him die so there can be no doubt he died. Let there be a great host of witnesses to verify it. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. When the last had finished pronouncing sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered a word. No one moved. For suddenly, all knew that God had already Served his sentence. So, in conclusion, the issue of suffering forces us to decide about God. C.S. Lewis said this God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I know many, many people who have only started to think about God in the midst of terrible suffering. God uses it to draw us to himself. So, this morning, if you refuse to believe in a good and just God, you need to accept your lot. If you refuse to believe in a just God, you just need to accept suffering. Yet the Bible tells us of a good and just God who never promises to take away or suffer, away suffering in this life. Yet the Bible promises comfort to those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. And the comfort is resurrection. Not a future that's just a consolation for the life we never had, but a restoration of the life we always wanted. A day is coming when Jesus will return with such power that the very material world and universe that we live in will be purged of all decay and brokenness. And at the end of all things, God will more than compensate for all our suffering we will spend all eternity with completely new bodies in the presence of a good and loving God where there will be no more suffering or pain. The hope of resurrection life is either a monstrous lie or it's true. And if it's a lie, you need to ignore it. But if not, you should embrace the offer of new life in Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. A relationship with God gives us a very different perspective on suffering. No one is thankful for tragedy, but through such experiences we do grow in insight, character and strength. If you've ever uh, seen how an oyster, how a pearl grows in an oyster, a little bit of grit gets inside the oyster shell. And around it, in the pain the oyster, the oyster starts to build a shell around this little bit of grit. And eventually, a beautiful pearl is the result. Someone once said this, Pearls are the product of pain. A precious tiny jewel can through irritation, born of adversity, nursed by adjustments. Some oysters are never wounded. And those who seek for gems, toss them aside fit only for stew. Let me finish with a quote from Charles Swindle. God is a specialist when the anguish God is a specialist when the anguish is deep. His ability to heal the soul is profound but only those who rely on his wounded son will experience relief. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. That is why we have a great high priest who has gone to heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us cling to Him and never stop trusting Him. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for He faced all of the same temptations we do Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There, there, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. That is the promise of God. We're going to finish our meeting here this morning. going to pray in a moment. And this is what we're going to do. We're not going to finish with a song, but we have a team of people who uh, will be down here and uh, they will be uh, ready to pray with you. You may be, have gone through some terrible turmoil, suffering. You may be struggling with all sorts of issues. I believe that God wants to meet with you this morning and uh, our team would love to pray with you, stand with you and just pray for you and pray that in the midst of your suffering you might know the presence of God with you, that you, God would draw close to you. and so if you would like prayer, please come to the front and I pray with you at the end of the meeting. I'm going to be uh, in the area back here uh, where teas and coffee is going to be served, and I'll be uh, wandering around and I 'm going to have some of these packs with me and if you're not a Christian this morning and you've been really challenged about God and your relationship with Him and you would like to know more about what Jesus Christ has done for you, and how that you can know a God who loves you, who's with you in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a broken world, then I, myself, or Dave, who uh, was hosting the meeting, would love to be able to talk with you some more, and share with you about what it means to, uh, to come to know Jesus Christ. And to perhaps help you take those first few steps. So that's what we're going to do. Um, But we're going to pray and uh, we're going to ask that God will come by His Spirit. God's here by His Spirit. And we're going to ask, if you want to pray, we're going to believe that God's going to touch you and we're going to ask that God would speak into your hearts. So let's just pray as we close. Father, we want to thank you that you are a good God. We believe it. Father, that's what the Bible says. We believe Our experience is that you are good and just. Father, we may not know all the answers to suffering, but what we do know is this, is that you love us and that one day you're going to sort this whole rotten world out and you're going to make it anew and we will be with you forever and ever. We have a glorious hope that one day this suffering in this world will come to an end and we will see you face to face as we were Considering this morning in the worship. Father, we want to say thank you that you are a God who understands suffering. You understand it intimately. You've been there. You've suffered more than anyone has ever suffered. You saw your son suffer on a cross for our wrongdoing. That we might be come into a relationship with You. Jesus, You know what it is to go through pain and anguish. We thank You that we have a Saviour who understands and sympathises with us in our weakness. That we have a great High Priest who has gone into Heaven as we were hearing about this morning. And You stand there and You intercede for us. When things are tough here, we know we have One in Heaven who has the Father's ear. Thank You that our prayers are powerful and effective because Jesus, You plead for us. And that You will come and comfort us in the midst of our grief. And I pray this morning for those who have been going through difficult times, going through grief and suffering, I pray that You would meet them as the team pray with them. I pray that You would meet them by Your Spirit and comfort them. That they would know their burden lifted and they would know a joy in their soul in the midst of their pain. For those who don't know You this morning, I pray that You would bring them to a knowledge of You. Pray that people this morning who have just been provoked about you and about your great love for them. Father, I pray that they would come to know you and I pray that they would be bold enough to come and openly just chat and ask a few questions and take one of these packs. Father, be with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen.